everybody. I hope you're doing well tonight. Uh, very excited to be with you as we, uh, we jump into part two of a series we've entitled Pray Like Jesus, in which we take the Lord's Prayer and uh, we just kind of break it down stanza by stanza, kind of dig in a little bit and uh, unpack all that Jesus uh, meant as he instructed us on how to pray. Tonight, um, I'm going to ask you right up front, go ahead and put on your imaginary seatbelts, okay, because we are going to blitz through a lot of information tonight, especially on the front end of what we have to talk about. Um, the, uh, the reason we're going to go so quickly through the front end is because on the back, I want to talk to you um, about the will of God for our lives as individuals. I want to uh, kind of tell you a story uh, revolving um, about a, a situation in my life that has happened, and uh, I want to make sure that we're able to kind of slow down and, and take time to do that. And so if you um, have your notes tonight, it's going to be super helpful for you because we're going to go through a lot of uh, bobbing and weaving through the scripture tonight, uh, but we are going to get through it. It's going to be good. So if you have your notes, let's go ahead and open um, with the reading of Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. The scripture says, uh, Jesus is praying here. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, which is our primary focus tonight. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive them that trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Lord, as we, uh, as we do dig into your word tonight, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will descend on this house and that, Lord, you will speak to us um, in the most appropriate, uh, intimate, personal way, Lord, possible. I want to pray that you will unlock things in our minds that maybe have been stalemated for a really long time. I want to pray for the flow of the Holy Spirit tonight as we open your scriptures. Lord, help us, Lord, to desire for your kingdom, to seek hard after your will in all of our ways. We'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. I live in an HOA. And if you live, usually if you live in any type of neighborhood in uh, the area, uh, you're probably part of a homeowner's association. And the essence of an HOA is that we pay people to tell us what to do, right? And uh, it's incredibly frustrating, especially when I get that bill every year. I'm just so excited to pay that. Um, uh, these HOAs are very interesting things because uh, you have a board of people who are a part of the neighborhood that basically make up all the rules. And they tell you what you can and what you cannot do. I got a letter in the mail uh, a couple of months ago, and the letter basically had a photograph of my house which I felt like was a huge invasion of privacy. I took a photo of my house and I had a garbage can that was left outside of my garage, not on the road, mind you, but on right up there next to my garage. And uh, we had been out of town. We had left the, the garbage there, uh, the garbage can there. And it was one day past when it was supposed to be inside of our garage but it was outside of our garage and we got a, uh, a uh, letter in the mail and it told us that if we did not, or if we violated this offense again, that they were gonna fine us $200 for leaving our trash can literally six inches on this side of the garage door to six inches on that side of the garage door. And as I got the letter, I started thinking about this and I thought, you know, who's really in charge here? That's what I started, I was thinking, who's really, because, as I go through my neighborhood, uh, there are certain rules enforced and certain things that are not enforced. And I, it begs the question, what's really going on? You know, at, at what point does um, their, their uh, domain end and my rule begin? Like in my home, is it in my home or outside of my home? Is it in my car? Like when I get to the end of the neighborhood or outside of the neighborhood, uh, when can the police get involved? You know, when does that, there are all these questions that are going through my mind about what's really going on, who's really in charge, who's really in control of um, what's happening here. And the reality is this, when we begin to talk about things like the kingdom of God or the will of God, 
it can be incredibly confusing because oftentimes we understand that ultimately all things are under the sovereign care of God, but in the midst of everyday life, we see things that just don't make sense. We see things that are frustrating and confusing, and we see suffering that breaks our hearts, and it causes us to take pause and just to say, what's really going on here? And tonight, I want to go ahead and let you know that I'm not going to be able to explain all of that mystery to you tonight, okay? So go ahead and like lower the expectations a little bit, okay? But what I am going to try to do is I'm going to try to help us understand it just a little bit better than what we may have understood it before. And so again, tonight, as we, uh, as we begin to, to go through this uh, section where we talk about the kingdom of God coming and the will of God being done in the earth as it is in heaven, it's going to be very, very helpful if you have your notes with you so that we can kind of track along and uh, maybe it'll help make a little bit of sense of what I'm trying to communicate tonight. The kingdom of God can be very incredibly difficult to understand. If you had a hundred pastors up on this stage tonight and each of them got five minute spots to explain the kingdom of God to you, you would have a lot of different variations of what that terminology means and how Jesus presented it when he came. And so tonight I wanna give you some very general ideas of, of working when we talk about the kingdom of God. Firstly, it's important to understand that in a very overarching sense, in a very overarching sense, that the kingdom of God is established in eternity. There's no confusion, there is no upheaval, there is no discussion, there's no debate. In an eternal sense, the kingdom of God is set. It is his domain, he is the sovereign ruler over this domain, okay? So in a very eternal overarching sense, the kingdom of God is established in eternity. The struggle that we find is that the kingdom of God in the earth is still evolving. It is still becoming the kingdom of God. Jesus said, he said, the kingdom of God is among you when he lived in the earth. But it's very, very clear as you read through scripture and as you read life that the kingdom of God is ever evolving as we work our way through this, right? William Barclay said this, he said, the kingdom of God is a society upon earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but if you drove down the road today, you can see that the will of God is not being done as it would have been done in heaven, right? Because there are bad drivers, there are bad people, there is injustice, there is chaos, there is all this kind of stuff. And what we understand when we begin talking about bringing the kingdom of God to the earth, this is what we're saying. We're saying that the kingdom of God is going to institute justice wherever it goes. There's going to be peace where the kingdom of God goes. Kindness is going to follow the kingdom of God. And as new converts, as born-again believers, we possess the kingdom of God within us right? This is the fruit of the spirit that is born out from us. So as the kingdom of God is manifested in us, justice is going to flow from us, right? Kindness is going to proceed from us. We are going to be people who are possessed with that type of mentality because the spirit of God dwells in us, thus the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so it's one thing to understand that the kingdom of God is here in us. We are the kingdom of God. If you're a child of God, a son or a daughter, you are a part of the kingdom of God. It's a whole other thing to understand that not only is the kingdom of God here in a sense, but the kingdom of God is also coming at the culmination of all things. Right? So when Christ returns, he is bringing the fullness of his kingdom. So as we live today, we see the kingdom of God expressed in little pockets. The kingdom of God may be expressed here at Christian life on a Sunday morning between certain hours because the people of God are gathered. Thus, the, the fruit of God and the, the kingdom of God is being born out. But if you go down the road or if you go to another state or to some other countries, you will see that the kingdom of God is not in that place that you go. But there's coming a day when Christ returns 
where the kingdom of God will be ever present forevermore. The justice of God will reign. The peace of God will reign. All things will be made new. The kindness and the love of God will be an everyday continual experience for all of us. And so as Jesus prays, thy kingdom come, this is literally what he's telling us to pray. He's saying, God, let all of this come to pass. God, bring justice to the land. Bring justice to my soul. Bring the peace of God that will rule and reign over all things. But God, come and return, Lord Jesus. Come with your kingdom to finally and fully take over the earth and reign in your kingdom. That is the first part of what Jesus is saying as he prays, thy kingdom come, okay? Now, that is a very minute picture of what it means to understand thy kingdom come. Tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna camp out for, uh, for the rest of the night, honestly, I wanna camp out on the phrase that Jesus prays when he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there are two ways, there are a lot of ways of understanding the will of God, okay? I wanna give you two enormous categories tonight, and then within those categories, I'm gonna give you some more categories that are gonna have other categories within them, okay? It's like one of those little Russian dolls you just keep pulling out, it's like, what is this thing gonna end? Okay, that's what it's gonna be like tonight, okay? The first major category I want to talk to you about tonight is the macro will of God, okay? You understand the difference between macro and micro. Tonight, the first one I want to talk to you about is the macro will of God, and then in a few minutes, we're going to talk about the the micro will of God. When we talk about the macro will of God, it's important to understand that there are three major ways that people view the overall view of his will, okay? Uh, There are two extremes, and then there's one which our church believes, and and we kind of, um, we embrace and we teach, but there are two extremes on either side as they are with most things. Number one, many people believe that the will of God is like a script, okay? Many people believe that God has written a script and we're just actors who carry out the script that's been written, okay? Uh, It's almost as if God were Shakespeare and we were the actors and we do everything that the script says and we do not deviate at all because the will of God is like a script. It's very robotic. It removes uh, human choice. There is, there is no uh, uh, free will involved. Some people believe that God is sovereign, that he's so sovereign that he has predestined all things. So in other words, not only has God predestined some people for salvation in Christ to be forever in heaven, but they believe that God has also chosen some people to be destined to destruction for eternal judgment and punishment in hell. These people would believe that as God is sovereign, that he is sovereign enough and he wants to bless you with certain things that he's blessed you with, but he's also so sovereign that uh, he also decreed that some children be molested as children. You understand what I'm saying? It's a very warped concept of God. They have taken the, the word sovereignty and they have overplayed it if that makes sense. It has gone beyond scripture and it has become its own thing that is not really found in scripture. It's it's one extreme. Where we land is when we believe that the will of God is kind of like a ship, okay? Now follow me when when I say this. We believe that that God has, has charted the course right? Like the captain of a ship, he has charted where we're going. He knows the destination. We are going from point A to point Z, right? So ultimately, we are going to get from where we are. Ultimately, we are going to get to where we're going at point Z. However, as we are on this ship, we may decide that we want to check out point G as well. 
and then maybe point T and maybe go back to point C. But ultimately, God is going to take us to point Z, the destination of where he has called us to go. So in other words, he has charted the course, but what happens on the ship is kind of up in the air for us to decide. It is the balance of the sovereign hand of God and the choice of our own will, right? There's this, this beautiful, mysterious uh, combination of these two elements. And this is where we believe that God has landed. It makes room for the sovereign hand of God that he has decreed certain things, but it also leaves room for us to make certain choices about certain things. So as we look through scripture, this can be supported a thousand different ways, but you find Jesus as he is contending with religious leaders. For instance, in John 5, you see Jesus contending with the religious leaders, and this is what he says. He says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Like this is God speaking to people saying, you are refusing to come to me. I am saying here is eternal life, but you're refusing. So in other words, what Christ is saying, he's saying, look, you got the choice, but you're making the wrong choice. I haven't decreed you to make the choice. It's your choice and you are refusing to come to me, right? It's the, uh, it's the uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 that we've become oh so familiar with over the past couple of years, okay? It begins with the most crucial of, of words in this portion of scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll turn and heal their land, right? The most important word in that entirety and that, that entire portion of scripture is the word if, because what God is saying to a people is he's saying, listen, if you want to turn in rebellion, it's your choice. But if you want to turn in repentance, well, that's also your choice. And if you choose wisely, I will move for you. I will act on your behalf, but it's your choice. Ultimately, I'm going to take my people, and I'm going to take it. human history, and I'm going to take it ultimately where it needs to go. But what happens on the ship is largely choice that is given for all of us. And this is where we land at Christian Life. We believe that, that there, there's a beautiful mixture of the sovereign will of God, but also human agency. And there's a combination that is, that is very much a, a, a mystery, okay? And so you have this one extreme where it's that God has written everything out and we have no, no opinion, we have no choice, no variance. And then we've got the ship theory. But thirdly, we have the other extreme, which is people who believe that the will of God is kind of like a slope. When I say that, I mean that there are some who believe that we are kind of, all of humanity is kind of on this giant mountain slope. And there's an avalanche and we're all going downhill. All of us are going downhill. Some of us are tumbling. Some of us are flying through the air. Some of us are already buried. God is still with us. But the problem with this theory is that it suggests that God is going downhill with us. And in the same way that we don't know how everything's going to pan out, in the same way that we don't know where things are going to land, this theory puts God in our bucket. And it says that God ultimately doesn't know where all things are going to end up either. It's a, it's a, um, a, a, a heretical teaching. It's a theological term that's called open theism. And it basically suggests that God knows everything that can be known, but no one can know the future, including God. It's, it's a fallacy. It's a, it's, a, it's a distortion of the scripture and, and who God actually is. People that believe this open theism about the will of God uh, will pull from a number of scriptures, but specifically perhaps one of the, uh, one of the most too famous would be Genesis 6-6, where the Lord says that he regretted making mankind, right? The Bible says that uh, just before the flood, before he destroys all creation, that the Lord regretted that he had made mankind. It's important for us to understand that when we're reading scripture, especially about the person of God, that we have to understand that God is very other than what we are. 
the word regretted in this portion of scripture is not the same type of regret that you and I experience when we make a mistake. An open theist would read this portion of scripture and they would say, there, that explains it. God did not know that humanity was gonna go awry, thus he made a mistake because he didn't know the future and therefore he regretted the mistake and he regretted that he had ever made mankind. When the reality is simply this, is that the scripture that's being spoken here, this is more of God accommodating our understanding of the grief and the gravity of what he felt as he watched sin run rampant in the earth. He's helping us understand. He understands that all people can identify with the regret. And so he is accommodating our limited perspective by identifying with this type of emotion, okay? But we know that this is not true. We know that this is not true. Uh, scripture upon scripture upon scripture can, can, can prove that this type of, of theology is, is inaccurate. But the one I want to focus on really quickly is Psalm 139. We've heard this over and over again, but I, but I want us to kind of dig in and understand this. This is, what the, um, this is what the psalmist says. He says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You notice what the writer of the psalm is not saying. He's not saying, God, you planned and executed and gave me no choice about my days. He, he's not saying this, this script theory is accurate. But he's also saying, God, before anything ever happened in my life, you knew the future. You knew what would happen. So it annihilates the slope theory. But what he's saying here is he's saying, God, in your sovereignty, you foreknew what I would do. You gave me the choice to do what I would do, but you knew the questions that I would ask and the paths that I would take. The reality is this, is that if open theism were actually a thing, then prophecy would not be a thing. Old Testament scriptures that pointed to the Messiah the prophetic fulfillments that, that Christ accomplished in his life over 360. These would be to no avail if open theism was a thing. And so therefore we understand that open theism is, is, is just a bad teaching. So what we stick to a Christian life is this understanding, this complex idea that, that God is taking us sovereignly to a destination. But what happens along that journey in large part is up to us. This is the macro will of God. These are the way, uh, uh, three distinct ways that people view the macro will of God. Are you with me? Have I lost you with open theism? Okay, we good? Okay. Let's shift really quickly to what, to what I call the micro will of God. Okay? This is the day in, day out experience of humans. This is, um, and again, this is incredibly nuanced. There are a thousand different ways to view this. Um, so I've just kind of done my best to construct uh, some tracks for us to run on, okay? When it comes to the micro will of God, it's important to understand that there are different compartments within that, okay? So for example, there's a compartment where we understand that there is the predestined will of God, Okay, let me explain predestined. The predestined will of God is the will of God that is set. It is unstoppable. It is immovable. It is going to happen. Okay? It is in Genesis 1-3 when, when the Lord said, let there be light. There was nothing that could come between God and light being in actuality. There's no human choice that could have manipulated it. There was no demonic or angelic host that could have thwarted what God had predestined to do. When he said, let there be light, it was going to happen. He had decreed it, okay? We see um, when, when Jesus is born, we understand from Paul's writings, uh, Paul says, in the fullness of time. In other words, at the moment that God predestined, 
the Messiah was born. It doesn't matter. Nothing could have thwarted what God had decreed for Christ to come and to be born, right? When we get to eschatology and we look at the end of days, we understand that the sealed judgments of God are going to happen. We can't pray them away. They are coming because God has decreed it. We understand that there is an antichrist that is going to come and we can't pray him away. It is going to happen because God has decreed it. But there is also a return of Christ that is coming. He is coming to make all things new and to set every evil right. And there's nothing that anyone can do to stop it. This is the decreed will of God. It is going to happen. It's immovable. Nothing is going to shift the mind of God. Nothing is going to change this. This is the predestined will of God. So that's one compartment. Okay, another compartment is what we call the prescribed will of God. Okay, now this is the will of God that God desires for all of humans. Whether or not they fulfill the will of God or not in this compartment remains to be unseen. But the fact is, is that there are certain things that God wants from his people, right? So Jesus, as he was walking the earth, what does he say? He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Now, the reality is, is that even as Christians, many people do not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's God's desire. It is the desire of God's will that we do that, but it's not actually a thing that happens in every situation. It's the idea of the Ten Commandments. God's desire is that we all be people that follow the Ten Commandments, right? Not because we're bound by law, but because we're bound to God, right? And so it is the desire of God that we be a moral and a righteous people in that type of sense. Um, this is the, the will of God where Paul writes, you know, several different times in Scripture. The Bible says this. It says, this is the will of God. Da-da-da-da-da, right? So in one particular portion of scripture, uh, Paul says, this is the will of God that you be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality, right? And so we know we don't have to question. When it comes to sexual immorality, we, we just know this is not the will of God. Why? Because the Bible has clearly said this is not the will of God for you, okay? Or it is the will of God for you. And so there are certain things that God desires for us now, whether or not we do it is, you know, up to us. It's our decision, but it's his desire. It's, it's the prescribed will of God. Oftentimes, this is called the revealed will of God that we can find in Scripture, okay? So you've got the predestined will of God. You've got the prescribed will of God. And then you have what we call the permissive will of God, okay? The permissive will of God simply means this. It means that God will allow certain things to happen whether or not he approves of them or not. So he will allow certain things to happen that he approves of, but he will also allow things to happen that he does not approve of because of human free agency, because he has given us a choice in the matter for certain things. And so, for instance, we, we have these situations where, you know, Daniel is taken to the lion's den. Now, was that God's, you know, you know prescribed will? Is this what God wanted for Daniel? I, I don't think so, because God delivered him from it. But we can look at this and understand that God allowed it. Even though he may not have wanted it, this is what God allowed, okay? You look at the book of Job. And you see Job, who goes through this tremendous suffering for so long. This is, this is the permissive will of God. Notice that the Lord went to Lucifer. And he said, Lucifer, he said, you can touch him in these areas, but I, 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 I permit you to touch him in these areas, but I refuse to allow you to touch him in these areas, right? So the sovereign hand of God was over what Lucifer could and could not do. And thus God allowed some things and he would not allow some things. This is what we call the permissive will of God. There is a tremendous mystery that we have to embrace in this. Um, we are coming up on the anniversary of 9-11. And I remember in the days following 9-11, I was 
driving in my car, listening to the radio, and of course at that time nobody was playing music on the radio, everybody was talking about the national tragedy that had just happened. And I was listening to a Christian radio station and I'll never forget a woman who was having a conversation with a man and they were talking about what had transpired and why would God allow and why would God not prevent and all of these really difficult questions. And she said, because I don't have time to expound and go into all these things, I just simply want to say this, that whether for better or for worse when it comes to our lives, all things are father-filtered. She used the phrase father-filtered. And she said, everything that happens to us is as if God has his hands out like this, And all things that happen are filtered through the fingers of Almighty God. And though we may not understand, we have to come to a place where we embrace the mystery and we trust the character of God and the ways of God, though we not understand the purposes of God in that moment. And so this is what we call the permissive will of God. Okay, thoroughly confused? Excellent. Here we go. I want to focus the rest of our time together talking to you about the personal will of God. This is where we're going to slow down a little bit tonight. I want to talk to you about the will of God that involves our individual lives. I want to talk to you about things that are kind of outside, they're not really spoken of in Scripture. Like, for instance, should you take this job or should you take that job? Should you marry this guy or should you marry this guy? I want to talk to you about everyday decisions that may not be spoken of directly in Scripture, but we still need to know how to kind of guide and go through all these things. Oftentimes, this is called the concealed will of God. It's as if God has revealed a lot about how we should live and what we should do in Scripture But there are a lot of things in everyday life that we're really unsure of, and we're just kind of navigating and trying to figure this thing out as we go. And so tonight I want to talk to you about discovering the personal will of God for all of our lives. Now, in 2011, my wife Joy and I, we only had two kids at that point, so that tells you how how long ago that was. Um, In 2011, Joy and I had been serving at a church in Panama City, Florida for about nine years. And we had felt that God was shifting. We felt like he was kind of dislodging us in, in you know, the year leading up to this moment. Um, God was doing a lot, but there was also a lot going on where we were and in the church and everything. And in the spring of 2011, I got a, a phone call from Pastor Darren, okay? And Pastor Darren said, um, hey, Corey, um, listen, we, we, are in, we are looking for a youth pastor uh, we're, we're, you know, looking to, to fill this role. We were wondering if you and Joy would be interested in coming up. Now, I had met Petey and Alex actually in Atlanta in the early 2000s, something like that. And we had just kind of carried on a friendship throughout the years. And I remember there was so much going on. Our church in Panama City, it was such a good church. It was one of the largest churches in Panama City. But in our tenure there, there was a a change in pastoral leadership. So the senior pastor um, uh, went to the district office and we had another senior pastor. The other senior pastor, he was not unethical or immoral or anything like that, truly a godly man, but it was an absolute clashing of Southern culture with Northern culture, okay, or Midwestern culture. It was an absolute clash. It was a nightmare. The church ended up splitting. I mean, it got real ugly real fast, and um, Joy and I, we, we, we pastored through it, and, and we loved our kids in the youth ministry there, and we just, we did everything that we could to be fruitful and helpful for the kids. Um, but as we carried along, you know, it gets weary. You, you get weary. And so um, along with that weariness, there came a loyalty to that church family to kind of hold things together, even though things were kind of falling apart. We just wanted the best for the church. We wanted it to be healthy, the people to be healthy. So when we got this phone call, my, my instinct was to say no. I was just like, no, we're, we're not leaving. We're, we're committed to the church. We've been here nine years. We're just going to stay loyal, all this kind of stuff. And as things um, began to progress, I actually, I actually ended up telling Pastor Darren no twice to coming to Christian life 
10 years ago, just over 10 years ago now. We told him twice that we weren't going to come, not interested kind of thing. But through the course of those summer months, and it, it was about three or four months that we kind of went through this whole thing, um, the Lord ultimately brought us to a place where we would visit Christian life on a Sunday morning, we would meet a uh, pastor, and we would meet all the staff. And ultimately, at the end of that summer, we were convinced that, that God had called us to come to Christian life, okay? The trouble is, is that in the midst of those three or four months, it was, I don't, I don't say this disrespectfully, but it was a personal living hell for those three or four months. And you know, that's the problem so many times when people tell you about where God has taken them from and where he's taken them to. Oftentimes they leave out the middle, right? It's like, I was in Egypt and now I'm in the promised land, praise him. There's a wilderness, right? And, and we all go through that. And in this particular situation, um, what I want to do is, as I walk down talking about the discovering the personal will of God for your life, I want to use this as an illustration because several of these factors played a huge role in our life in, in this one given situation. And so tonight, as we, as we jump in for the next few minutes, I want to um, talk to you, number one, about Scripture. Anytime that you are making a personal, especially a life-altering decision, it could be daily decisions or it could be, you know, like I said, life-altering decisions. The first place that we are to stop is scripture. We are to ask the question, does this action, is it supported by the word of God and is it consistent with the ways of God, right? We've got to ask, is this supported with the word of God? The Bible is meant to guide us along right? You remember the psalmist in Psalm 119, he says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path, right? So it's important for us to understand that as we're beginning to make decisions, there are going to be all these thoughts and these feelings and emotions and all of these things that are not necessarily invalid, but those things must be measured against scripture, it doesn't matter how I feel in this moment. It doesn't matter what I think in this moment. What does the Bible say about this decision that I need to make, right? Because Paul reminds Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and it, its purpose is to instruct us in the way that we should go, to show us what is right and to show us what is wrong. And so for us, as we go about making decisions, it's important for us to stay close to the word of God. Okay, now I'll tell you this, and this is just brutal honesty. I get this phone call and this opportunity to make a move to Christian life. I go to the word of God and I get nothing, right? Because it's one of these decisions where the word, it always applies on some level, but should I do this or should I do that just wasn't there, right? And so for me in that moment, um, scripture, I, I, I buried myself in scripture, but it wasn't one of those things where, where I was getting direction necessarily from scripture, okay? And sometimes that's okay. Let me tell you when it's not okay. When you have a mindset and you say, um, you know, I have a decision to make. Should I cheat on my taxes because the government is irresponsible and not good stewards? Uh, should I cheat on my taxes and give that money to the church? Uh, well, the Bible has a lot to tell you about that, okay? And the answer is no. By the way, you should not do that, okay? But I'm just saying that there are a lot of practical decisions that the word of God will say, yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't, or this is the way to go, or this is how you deal. The word of God is, is practical in instruction for a lot of situations, but there are some situations that we just, we open and we're like, Lord, it doesn't really direct us in, in any way for this everyday life and decision. And so what we do is we move on to the second layer of decision, which is what I call here in your notes, the spirit promptings. And the question that is asked is, is the peace of the Holy Spirit present with this decision that I'm about to make, right? So it's important to understand that God may use the peace of God. He may use certain promptings, and you know what a prompting or a nudge feels like. He may use our conscience. He may give us dreams or visions or prophetic words from other people. God may do all these things. But let me just remind us, at every layer through all the things that we're going to talk about, what we always do is we take what we have and we then measure it against the Word of God, right? So I'll give you an example. I have um, a, a very, very dear friend who is a practicing homosexual. And in conversation, the question is asked, um, 
you know, what are your thoughts on what God's word says about homosexuality? And the response was simply this. Well, I've never felt convicted about being homosexual. Okay? So in that moment, in that moment, my kind, compassionate, gentle tone says, buddy, I love you so much, but it doesn't matter how you feel about this. What does the Bible say? Right? Because we understand that our conscience can be cut off that we can grow deadened to the Spirit's promptings. And so it doesn't really matter if you've ever felt convicted if the Word of God is for something or against something. It only matters what Scripture says, right? And so we have to understand that, that our, our default needs to be, yes, I feel like this is what God is saying. This is a, a dream that I had or a vision or a word or, or whatever. But we go back to the Scripture and say, does the Scripture support what I'm feeling in this moment, okay? But we can rely on the Spirit to lead us. I think so many times, and I'll give you, I'll tell you this, in, in my experience moving from Panama City to South Carolina, I'll tell you, th those three or four months, I, I don't know if I have ever slept less, prayed more, struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, I, I, have never, I, I have never been suicidal by any stretch of the imagination or anything like that. But I remember telling my wife, if I have to live in this condition, I am so miserable. I, if, I, if I had to live in a condition like this, I could understand why a person would do, even though it's sinful and against the will of God and all that kind of stuff. I could, I could as a human, understand. I was so just depleted of, of everything within me. And I'll tell you, I felt so frustrated. I was so confused emotionally and mentally that I felt like I couldn't even hear the voice of the Lord. Right, on a major life, like I, 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 I couldn't get anything from the scripture, although I was buried in scripture. I was spending so much time fasting and praying and people were uh, supporting us in fasting and prayer, but, but I still couldn't, I felt like I was so confused because this was such a monumental decision, but I couldn't hear the voice of the Lord. And I just wanna remind us, okay, I just wanna remind us of this scripture. And I wish, you know, there are, there are a thousand times where you look back and, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But there are a thousand times that I wish I would have come across this portion of scripture and been reminded of it as I was going through here where Paul writes to the Philippians. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. That is so easy for him to say, right? That's what we think as Paul writes from a prison cell. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to me say this. As we're going through stuff like that, we feel like we can't hear the Lord, we can't discern or whatever. The best thing that we can do is cry out to God for wisdom. Not overthink it, not get anxious, not get panicky, not freak out, but we can go. This is what James says. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Notice the adjective. He is a generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. Listen, what James is, is saying here is he's saying, look, if you need wisdom for these things, ask the Lord, right? Now, God may not speak to you the way that you want him to speak to you or the way that you think he should speak to you, but he's a generous God and he will speak, right? It just may not be in the way that we would want him to. And so number three, we uh, filter down a little bit more and we go to what I call spiritual counsel. And the question here is, do my spiritual leaders encourage this decision? Let me tell you what, especially in younger generations, there is an absence of spiritual fathers and mothers who are, maybe there's not an absence of the spiritual fathers and mothers, but there's definitely an absence of younger generations going to fathers and mothers and asking for their wisdom. There's an absence of this that is so desperately needed because God directs us oftentimes through truthful, godly people that he has put into our lives. You, you remember the, the writer of Proverbs, he says in the multitude of counsel, there's what? There's safety. 
So when I go to people, when I'm, when I'm dealing with something, I, I can get the counsel of multitude. And though I'm so confused, though I feel like I can't hear, God is surrounding me with truthful, godly people that care about me and want the best for me. And maybe they can hear in a moment when I can't hear. The writer of Proverbs goes on and he, he, he you know, reemphasizes this. He says, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. A man of understanding will go and seek after wise counsel. And so I'll tell you, as I was going through this situation from Panama City to South Carolina, I felt so confused. I'm so embarrassed to say how confused I was because I absolutely felt cut off from the Lord. I felt like I couldn't hear him in his word. I felt like I couldn't hear him in the spirit. I felt so alone. I felt so isolated. I, if I'm just being brutally honest, I felt so abandoned. I felt so abandoned by the Lord. And I remember going. Now, in the moment, I didn't realize what was happening, but I remember going and just saying, I need to seek counsel. I can't hear. Maybe somebody can hear. And so I started going. And I had eight different people in my life that, that I trust, that are mature Christians, that are godly, that, that don't have a dog in the fight. They just want the best for me right? And so I go to each of them, all eight of them, and I'd say, look, here, here are my options. This is what I can do. I can stay here. I can do this. And this is what, you know, in my heart for this situation, this is what it is. If I do this, here's the heart, here's the situation, all this. And I'm telling you, I went to eight different people, and do you know, without exception, all eight of them, all eight of them, without knowing a Christian life church, right, at all whatsoever, all eight of them came back and they said, Corey, you've got to at least go and put your feet on the ground and experience the culture and see if God speaks to you in that moment. All eight of them told me to go. As a matter of fact, all eight of them told me I would be foolish not to go. I'll never forget the second time PD called me and I was, I was golfing with my brother-in-law. I was on vacation over the summer and I was golfing with my brother-in-law and uh, PD called and, and he was talking to me. He said, well, what do you think? What do you want to do? And I just told him, I said, I said, man, I, I, I just think uh, we're, we're going to pass on this opportunity. I hung up the phone. I looked at my brother-in-law. I said, man, I feel like I may have just made the worst decision of my life. And he looked at me and said, yep. And he went to the tee box and teed off. It was just so, but again, he was a voice in my life that I trusted, that I knew he only had the best interest for me and my family in mind. And so as I went to, to, to a multitude of counsel, I found safety there, right? It was a moment where I felt like I couldn't connect with the Lord. So I was dependent on the spiritual community that God had surrounded me with. Now, hopefully, uh, you know, th that is uh, more rare than it is common. Hopefully, as we are in, you know, attached to the vine, that we will be able to hear clearly and discern clearly. But in the moments when we can't, when we're in the wilderness, God has surrounded us with a community that we can depend on, okay? Now, really quickly before we finish up, these next two that I want to mention to you are not primary ways that we should try to hear from the Lord, okay? Let me, let me I can't say that emphatically or passionately enough. These next two should be supplemental only, okay? They should support what God has said through the other three layers, okay? These should be purely supplemental. Number five is what I call sacred echoes, okay? Sacred echoes is when God uses a scripture or a theme, or a phrase, or a circumstance repeatedly over and over and over again. It is echoed here, and it's echoed there, and it's echoed here, and you hear it again there. You hear it so much that it becomes a pattern as you are trying to make a decision. Paul experienced these experiences this in Acts chapter 21, right? He is leaving Ephesus, and the leader said, please don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, no, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he goes down. Agabus the prophet comes and says, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I've had this vision. You're going to be bound. Listen to the vision that I have. Luke says, me and the other people that were there that heard the vision, beg Paul, please don't go. But Paul said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul took it not as a warning not to go. Paul took it as a confirmation that he should go. Now, I'm not sure if Paul was right or wrong or not, but regardless, he experienced this theme again and again and again through the people in his life, okay? When we were preparing, when we felt like the Lord was kind of dislodging us a little bit from Panama City, 
I hadn't, I, and I felt like we, we were very fruitful in our ministry. We were, I mean, we had incredible favor. Our, we had, our youth ministry was almost as large as the church. You know, I mean, God was very faithful to us in our ministry. But for like eight years, I never got any job opportunity, never got phone calls from other churches like, hey man, I hear you're doing great stuff. Why don't you come check out our church? I never got anything like that. But I'm gonna tell you in December of the year before, my phone started ringing off the hook. I was getting job offers to like Wisconsin, Arizona. I'm a, I'm a Florida boy, right? I told my wife that we need to fast and pray about this church in Wisconsin and all this kind of stuff. And my wife looked and she said, you can fast and pray all you want. I'm not moving to Canada, right? She said that to me. And so I fasted and prayed and we turned it down. But my point is this, is that there was this repeated thing over and over that hadn't existed for years. And now all of a sudden, my phone won't stop ringing. Now, all of a sudden, people won't stop asking questions. And so it's leading me to this moment where the transition of God is going to occur and take place again. Now, again, this is a supplemental, right? God was already stirring, but this was something that was supplemental that we had to pay attention to in this. And then finally, number six is what I call supernatural circumstances, okay? It's important to understand that God may use unusual happenings to direct us in our lives. This is very, very supplemental, okay? We see it in scripture. We see Balaam's donkey talking and redirecting the man, right? But how many more times in scripture do we see the donkey talk? None, right? We don't, we don't see the donkey talk anymore in scripture, okay? Because it was a very unusual thing that happened, but God wanted to use it to direct this person. I wanna, I wanna tell you really quickly, I know we're out of time, but let me just tell you really quickly. As we were in this process, I had not yet decided whether or not we were going to come to, to South Carolina or not. As a matter of fact, um, I was invited to speak at a, um, a, a district gathering with senior pastors and I, I, I spoke at the event and I was getting ready to leave. And as I was leaving, uh, a man stopped me at the door. And he was an older gentleman, but I had never met him. He was a pastor in our district for decades, but I never knew him. And he stopped me and he said, man, you know, you did such a great job, blah, 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 all this stuff. And, and I said, thank you, I appreciate that. And he said, you know, you used to quote when, when you were doing your teaching and it reminded me of something and he started talking. And he said, there was, there was this other guy. He said, have you, have you ever heard of Stephen Chitty? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And I, I'm so sorry, I'm not trying to be rude, but what did you say? And he said, have you ever heard of Stephen Chitty? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm leaving this teaching session. I'm getting in the car and my family are going to meet him for the first time because I'm interviewing at his church. He said, oh, that's incredible. You know, hey, here's a pen. You know, he gave me a pen. He said, tell him I said, hey, or whatever, all this kind of stuff. It was an incredibly unusual happening that kind of helped solidify what I was already sensing in my heart, that God was indeed moving us, that he would send a man on the very day that I was going to South Carolina to meet a man that I hadn't met before at a church I'd never visited before. When we got here for that weekend, um, I remember, I remember, um, just being a person who had been at two different churches, one on staff and one as a volunteer. I remember it being two different churches and one church was very, very heavy with the word of God and teaching very, very heavy, but not really um, uh, infused with spiritual life. And then uh, the other church I was at was very, very infused with spiritual life, but not really heavy in God's word. And I remember just struggling and saying, Father, I, I just wanna be at a place where there's a, there's a healthy balance of both of these things, you know? And I remember coming in and, to church on that Sunday morning we were visiting, I sat right there, and it was on a Word, Spirit, Power Sunday, right? Um, which if you've not been here on a Word, Spirit, Power Day, wow, let me tell you, okay? And I rem I'm just being dead honest with you, right? I was ducking poles and people were doing cartwheels. It was, it was amazing, right? There was a fullness of spiritual vitality in the moment, but I remember sitting right there, and, and I, looked, I leaned over to my wife, Joy, and I said, babe, I don't know I, I don't know that I can go back to this type of atmosphere because it was so spiritually alive that my assumption is that it would kind of be, it would lack in the word of God, right? And the very first person to come up that morning and speak was R.T. Kendall. 
And do you know what he would talk about? He would talk about the marriage between the word of God and the spirit of God. And I remember looking at Joy, I said, oh, I, I can be a part of this. Later that night, we went to Yamato's for dinner because Pastor loves Yamato's. If you ever want to get him a gift card, Pastor Appreciation Day is coming up here in a couple weeks. Yamato's is a great gift card for him. His kids will thank you for it. Um, we went to Yamato's and RT was there. And now you've got to understand, as, as a budding theologian, I was so enamored with RT Kendall. I could not believe that I was like within 15 feet of the man. I'd read his books, I'd known about him for, for years, and I was kind of like starstruck. And when we were at dinner that night, they set me beside RT. And so I was just like shaking the whole night. And he leaned over to me, one of the, the, the first thing that he said to me, he leaned over to me and he said, so you're the one I've been praying for. And I thought, Lord, you know, out of all the things that I needed to hear, that was a good one. That, that was a good one. I appreciate that. Later, I would find out after meeting, meeting pastor, I would find out that we were actually born and raised in the same town in Pensacola, Florida. I would find out later that, unbeknownst to any of us, that he grew up with my grandmother as children. That my uncle employed him as a young man and that our family had some roots together that I would have no idea of. Now you may say, well, that's incredible coincidence and maybe, maybe to some degree, but I'm telling you, when you start adding it all up, that's a whole lot of coincidence there. And I just want to remind you of this, that as I went through this incredibly frustrating season where I felt like I just could not hear, I felt like, I felt like, like such a disappointment to the Lord. I thought I should be more of a man of God than this. I should be able to lead my home better than this. I, I don't understand. There's got to be something broken in me if I can't hear the Lord for this kind of direction. And I remember when all of these things just started falling, when all of these things just started falling, it was the, the fresh reminder of God to my heart. It was the reminder that I had trusted in the Lord my God with all my heart. I was trying not to lean on my own understanding. And God was faithful and he made straight my path. And I just want to remind you, as you go through difficult, frustrating seasons like this, go through the process. Go through the arduous, the hard, the difficult, the frustrating. Go through the process. Because I believe that as we are, and, I, and I'm telling you, my, I, could, I could point to you a half dozen other enormous experiences like this that I've had where I can testify to you that as you work your way through the process and truly surrender your life and your will so that his will can be done in your life, that he will be faithful to do it. I wanna remind you that he wants his will and his purposes fulfilled in your life more than you want them fulfilled in your life. He desires that we be fruitful. He desires that we be like David. And at the end of his days, he was spoken of a man who in his lifetime fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. And God wants that for every one of us. God wants it for every single one of us. It means we gotta lean in. It means we gotta go through the tough. It means that we got to go through the process. It means that we've got to go through the will of God, the sanctification of our lives so that we can be used vessels for. So I just wanna encourage you, he, he cares, he's not abandoned. Just got to go through the process. Lean in. He'll make it happen. Amen. Father, I thank you tonight for your people. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that even at times when life doesn't appear to be the way that we felt like it should or we imagined or hoped for, that, Lord, you are still behind the scenes working all things out for our good because we love you and you love us and we are called according to your purposes. It's a promise that you've given to us. And I wanna pray for all my brothers and sisters that may be going through struggles of figuring out what to do or what not to do. And I pray for the piercing clarity of the Holy Spirit to be their portion. Any way that you wanna speak, God, we avail ourselves and we ask you to speak. Flow, Holy Spirit. Cause those things just to pop calls them to fold out before us 
so that we can walk in the way that you've called us to walk, Lord. So please help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you.